Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm thankful you're listening today. Uh, today, our guest is Josh Sterling. Thanks for being on the show, Josh. Thank you for having me. Josh is the owner of Epic Property Management, LLC. He's been into single family, multifamily, and apartment communities. Uh, he now owns approximately 350 units worth over $20 million. You know, he, he's made it to financial freedom and where we all want to be. And so I, I hope he can, you know, just give us some insights on how he got there so we can get there too. You know, one quality about Josh also is that he he coaches for uh, Michael Blanc and, uh, you know, I just think that's a great quality too. He's he's seeing many problems, many ways that he can help uh, students, and and that just benefits him in a business in his business and in ways he can he can just uh, benefit us also uh, and you as the listener. So, um, Josh, tell us a little bit about how you got started uh, started in real estate business. Um, all right, so I um, brief uh, brief brief background here. I had gone into um, a career in aviation. I was an airline pilot um, in the the heat of the recession, uh, that industry got beat up pretty bad. And I found myself making uh, uh, quite a bit less than when I'd started. Um, it really was kind of a shocker. I got about a 50% pay cut with, with pretty short notice. And I had this realization I needed to do something to provide for myself uh, as opposed to depend, depending on a job uh, for, for income and, and stability. So I really didn't have a background in anything besides aviation. Um, and I, I didn't know where to go. Um, real estate seemed real simple. Um, you know, buy a house, rent it out, collect the difference in cash flow, And, uh, we did just that. We bought a single family home back in 09. Um, and that just started to compound, uh, did one, ended up doing two, three, four. And before I know it, we had about 25, uh, single family houses that we were uh, running um, and started kind of building that base for the real estate uh, business we're in now. Awesome. So how, how long, so you bought your first one in uh, 2009 and then how long till you had 25? It took us till about 2012. Um, the market was really, really nice then as I'm sure a lot of people remember. Um, right. So about 2012, we had about 24, 25 single family homes. And we happened to at that time come across a uh, 24 unit apartment building. Um, so uh, through a little bit of a process, we were able to acquire that on a land contract. It had quite a few issues with it, but basically doubled our unit count overnight. Um, that, that ended up being actually sometime into 13 by the time we closed on that deal. Um, but it really kind of set the uh, path for where we um, have gone since then, um, pushing more towards that multifamily uh, side of uh, real estate. You know, we still do a little single family. We do a little bit of new construction, but multifamily is definitely our primary focus um, if and when we can find the, the deals uh, that make sense. So how, how did you find that 24, uh, 24 unit deal? Uh, it came through, um, I'd always been, a, um, after we discovered real estate in the path um, that, that it was leading us down, uh, I was pretty vocal about what we were doing and how excited I was about it. And I'd just share that with people that I'd come across, uh, mainly just because I enjoyed talking about it and, and the benefits that it brought to us. Um, and I, through one of those conversations with a coworker, he introduced me to a commercial broker whom was a friend of his, um, and that broker brought us this deal. Um, 
and, and that's developed into a great relationship. I still work with that broker to this day. Um, he actually does a bunch of financing for us now. He's brought us three or four other deals uh, along the way. He's been a great mentor, connected me with, uh, with many other people that uh, have been great resources. So <clears throat> all that came from just being vocal and sharing what we're doing um, and, and what's exciting to us. It's incredible. So tell us, you know, what's that conversation normally look like? You know, you're meeting these people, you're being vocal about what you're doing. What does that look like? So you're not selling something, but you're kind of drawing them in a little bit. What, give us a picture of that. Yeah. You know, so, so I, um, I back, back in those days, especially, I really had no knowledge of how to raise capital or really a I didn't think I need to. I really didn't know what I was doing with it. So it was purely uh, without intention. I would just I, w- I was happy to talk about what what we did. You know, I think what it comes from is is being excited about what you're doing. I think probably anybody that's that's in uh, real estate or multifamily uh, investing or really any type um, of um, investment where you're doing something for your you know, building something for yourself, you're, you're excited about it. So really it, it came with, with no intentions. I wasn't out there trying to hook people in or anything like that. I just was happy to share what we were doing. Some other people had a similar interest and maybe would ask for a little bit of guidance about the, the at the time, the limited experience we, you know, we had, but I'd help provide that, you know, without any expectation. And it led to um, really being able to grow a, a good sized network of people that did end up helping us out. Awesome. So you mentioned that this property, uh, you found it through a broker, but you mentioned it was through a land contract. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So uh, in Michigan, they refer to it as land contract. It's just basically seller seller financing. And on this particular property, we had to purchase it that way because it was uh, something like 42% occupied. So as I'm sure most people know, you're not going to be able to finance that with a bank. Uh, Luckily, the seller had owned the the building outright. Um, So we had that option where he um, essentially acted as the bank for us. We put a down payment, about a 20% or so down payment down. um, And we purchased that building, making payments to him. Awesome. So, you know, how, how was your confidence level going from these single family homes to now this 24 unit? That's funny. I don't think people have asked me that, but uh, it was a terrifying thing. Uh, we were basically doubling our unit count overnight. Um, and, and I really had no clue what we were doing. We were taking over a building. It's still probably the most mismanaged building I've ever bought to this day. Um, so not knowing what I was doing and getting into a building that was going to need a lot of work, 42% occupied, a bunch of deferred maintenance, um, and, and had been mismanaged before. So um, I've told the story, but we, we left closing. They handed us a freezer-sized Ziploc bag of keys with nothing labeled and said, here you go. So I got to that property. Me and my wife went out there. It was Halloween day, actually, that we closed on it. And uh, it was basically a nervous breakdown. I really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have, I was managed, I was self-managing. I was working a full-time job. So I could just see the workload going through the roof. It was, it was a, a little bit scary. I can imagine your, your wife was probably scared also. Yeah. She actually kind of uh, pushed away from the business. I think that was part of it. You know, she really, uh, she didn't have the interest. She, she still honestly doesn't um, in the day-to-day aspects of the business. And so that might've been the the final straw for her to seeing that this was going to be a huge amount of work. Awesome. So what was your first course of action? 
Um, you know, it, it actually, it ended up being a blessing in disguise. It really pushed me to realize quickly that um, I wasn't going to be able to do this all on my own. I wasn't going to be able to self-manage. I needed to either hire out a management company or hire people and, and start a management company. And that's the route we took. So about that time, we formed um, our company now. It's called Epic Property Management. And we formed that to oversee our own um, portfolio, but also to start doing some third-party management to help build scale. Um, and it, it enabled us to start putting systems in place and hiring people and, and hiring out you know, the different aspects of property management, whether that be from you know, receptionist to leasing agent to maintenance staff. And now we've got several layers um, you know, throughout the company. And, and really, the bigger you grow, the easier it actually gets once you realize you need those systems and procedures in place and you start hiring people to handle those. Can you give us some some basics on, on you know, when you first got that property, just some first things that, that we would need to know to do to get that under control? I mean, just I can imagine the, the just massive chaos, you know, of getting that bag of keys and thinking, oh my goodness, where, where do I start? You know, I mean, it, it really comes down to how you're going to run it. For us, having to uh, run the management side of it and the investment side of the property, um, you know, maybe that's not going to be common for everyone, but we had to develop everything from what kind of management software are we going to use? Once you get to that, you know, even 40 or 50 units, you really need a software. You can't be doing this on Excel sheets anymore, right? You can't train somebody an Excel sheet. If they enter one formula wrong, your, your whole system is out of whack. So you need a, a software. You need to input that property into your software or make sure your management, you know, company has a system this in their system, then you need to start doing little things like key control. I mean, it, it sounds stupid, but to lose a key to a unit or to not know what key goes to what unit, that's a huge, that can be a huge cost and a huge time. We say in our office that losing a key costs $200 because you have to now send somebody out to change locks, purchase locks, all these things involved. So little bitty things like that are actually kind of big things. Um, so you really need some organization there. Um, and then again, going the management route, we started developing procedures for, you know, how we're going to do leasing, how, how what rates we're going to lease units at um, based on the quality and the size of the unit and really just that type of approach. And then in a building that needs work, you're going to have to determine what's deferred maintenance that you can defer, what's deferred maintenance that needs to be done today, um, things like that. So it was just a, a top-down approach that it took us about 14 months to get the building uh, up to what I'd call a stabilized asset that was over 90% occupied, um, had had rents that were increasing or had increased. Um, we were able to actually refinance out of that land contract in about 14 months. Very nice. What does that look like? So you refinanced, you paid the seller off, he's out of the deal then. Was it was that part of the plan in the beginning? Uh, yeah, I, I had uh, conservatively estimated five years to be able to get it to that point. Luckily we were able to do it in 14 months, but we bought the building for 515,000. We refinanced it for, I think it was somewhere around the high 800 or maybe 900 range was the valuation. So we were able to pull out most of our, uh, actually all of our capital. I think we put 120 down on the original land contract. And I think I walked from closing with a, a check after the land contract payoff for maybe 350 or so. Wow. Um, I've since refinanced that building again to go to agency debt, which is a whole nother uh, uh topic there, but that's been something that, um, you know, we've been able to take deals on with, with uh, bridge or portfolio type financing, um, add the value and then put that long-term debt on the deals um, after they've, they've pretty much squeezed all the value out of them. Um, and that allows us to not uh, have as much interest rate risk with some longer term amortization, some, some longer term fixed rate periods. 
So yeah, agency debt, I, I was, you did a little bit. I was going to ask you to just explain what that means to listeners that's never heard that term. Sure. So um, generally speaking, any type of Fannie or uh, Freddie uh, financing, uh, lately for us, we've done in the past uh, probably about eight months, we've done four um, Freddie Mac small balance notes, which is uh, typical terms that we're seeing are somewhere um, somewhere right now, I'd say around a 4.7, maybe 4.8 interest rate. We were seeing as low as four and a quarter a few months ago, which was really nice. Um, 30 year amortization. Um, the notes we've been doing have been a 20 year um, balloon with the first 10 years of the fixed rate at those low four numbers. So really, really attractive terms, but it's the type of financing where you're going to lock up a building. Uh, you're going to, you're really not going to pay that off due to some of the prepayment penalties in there um, during that initial term. So it's something once the value has been added, you, you basically set it and forget it is how we think of it. Nice. Nice. So, so you walked away with, with 350,000 when you refinance, what, what do you do then? So we, we continued to improve the building. There was still quite a bit of value to add, but I wanted to get a little bit lower rate on my financing. I think we had a six or so rate on the land contract, if I recall. Um, I want, and I wanted some capital put back in the building for bigger things like parking lot. And um, we did a bunch of common areas and then we were able to do more of the units. Um, you know, turning a unit there was cost us about eight grand because it was a full rehab um, to, to actually upgrade those units. Um, but that would up that would increase our rent by over a hundred dollars a door. So it was a logical move, just very capital intensive. So with that refi, we put a bunch more money back in the building. We also put some into other deals uh, somewhere in that range. I had uh, lined up a 53 unit building, I think was our next acquisition. And so some of that refi went into purchasing that building. Um, and then it also uh, back to the first building helped us to um, once we've added those those uh, put those capital improvements in helped us to the next leg which was to put that agency debt on the deal we, which we ended up doing here about six or eight months ago and pulled out about another three hundred thousand uh, dollars maybe four hundred thousand at that point um, in additional equity we built into the deal of the fifty three unit or the first one. That's the first one. Wow. So we, we've we've already refinanced it twice in five years. Um, we've been able to increase the cash flow even with putting additional debt on the building because there was so much room in those rents once we uh, rehab units and, and improve the property. Um, and we've been able to extract the equity back out, which we've rolled back into that deal, but more importantly into other deals, which has, has helped us grow. Nice, very nice. So, so you kept growing. Kept, I mean, w w you know, at what point do you, you know, run out of your own capital? You know, what happens then? How do you keep going? So I'm a big fan, and I think almost anybody that that's in um, buy and hold type investing is in it for cash flow. I certainly am. I my my main metric that I like to track is, is monthly net cash flow, um, and and a lot of my goals are based around that number. Um, so with that being said, you you generate the most cash flow when you own a property 100% yourself, 100% outright, right? Obviously without any investors, without partners, whatever. So that's always our main focus. If we can do that and we have the capital available, we're going to do that. Um, but, but like you just said, you run out of capital from time to time um, or you do you find more deals than you have capital, which is a great problem to have. And then it leads you to, how are you going to purchase that deal? You're gonna do that through a syndication, obviously. Um, and for us, that's that's when we, we go to those. So once we don't have the funds available to do uh, to, to make that purchase on our own, um, we're going to go out to our network and raise capital for those purchases. Um, where we're typically giving away somewhere around seventy percent of the equity is pretty standard um, in exchange for the investors that we we go to bringing in that capital. 
giving away 70% of the equity. Can you explain that just a little bit when, you, when you're talking about giving that away to the investors? And Yes. So when we decide we're going to structure a deal as a syndication, um, we'll typically come in with something like a 70-30 split is usually my target, meaning that we're we're typically going to hold about 30% of the equity as a general partner, the sponsor in the deal, if you want to refer to it that way. And we're going to raise the capital um, for the downstroke and the closing cost uh, capital needed to close in the deal. We're typically going to shoot for around 70% of the investors. How I really determine that number is I'm, I'm actually going back to what my investors need to see as a return. So mm. we find that a 16 to 18% average annual return is a pretty fair number. So whatever percentage of equity, in the deal would get the investors a 16 to 18% average annual return over the whole period of, of the deal. That's how much we, we will give out. So that might end up being 80% to investors or it might end up being 60%. It, but it, we tend to find 70, 30 is fairly normal. And then that average annual return is comprised of your cash flow, which is typically distributed quarterly, uh, your principal paid on on the note, which I like to say is about the most sure thing you're gonna get in multifamily, because as long as you make your payments, that that uh, value is being added there and your uh, value add into the deal, which for me is a big wild card. I always like to be real conservative estimating what rent growth is going to be and, and you know, what expenses are going to do. So um, that combination of, of your average general return of 16 to 18% is usually around seven or 8% cash flow, five or 6% principal pay down and maybe another five or 6% for value add o- over the life of the loan or life of the, the deal. So do you find that that investors or that you use or that you partner with are normally savvy about savvy enough about that? Are they helping kind of set and say, okay, you know, I want this much IRR or this, you know, this much cash flow. Uh, and then then you adjust or, or, you know, do you just market it to a certain type or certain pool of investors that you know we're okay with this kind of deal? Yeah. So we have a pool, we have uh, a list of investors that we work with and we add to it all the time. And um, a lot of those investors, I don't think are necessarily looking for a certain IRR that's a little more complex uh, than maybe some are getting into. They're certainly uh, savvy and sophisticated investors. Um, Although not necessarily accredited, we do a lot of 506B type stuff. So you don't need uh, everyone to be an accredited investor. Um, But we, I find that they're generally looking for that overall return, um, you know, and, and the quarterly distributions I think are nice um, for them, you know, in that say seven to 8% range as a target. Um, but I think the the bigger picture is they're building wealth um, through holding that deal long-term. And we have those liquidity events, either a sale or a refinance that they're able to see a large chunk of, of uh, capital return to them. And, and you know, one of our uh, main strategies, the way I've made money in real estate is I, got into earlier is by owning a deal, adding value, refinancing that deal, and then continuing to own that deal after getting all my money back, maybe, and then some. So I, I shoot to do the same thing for our investors. So for example, a deal we got into, it's not quite been two years. We got in November of 2016. Very, very, very good buy. It's not always we get one that's good, but it's a great deal. Um, we're right now uh, starting to play with the option to refinance this deal. It's looking like we'll be able to potentially refinance this deal, return all of the investors capital and then some. So um, most investors were in for either 50 or a hundred thousand into that deal. Um, so you'd get all that back and then some, and then um, still continue to own the deal. And I think that's something really unique with the refinance strategy that, that we employ and our investors like this strategy is that they, can hope to get a huge chunk of their capital or maybe all their capital and then some back out of the deal and hopefully a few years and still continue to own that deal uh, indefinitely. Um, you know, we're, we're 
of the mentality that we're going to hold these things very, very long term, you know, 20, 30, 40 years or more. Wow. So if we can get that capital back, continue to own the deal, take that, uh, that loan amortization to a longer term, therefore not affecting the cash flow all that much by pulling that equity out, uh, I think it works real well. Um, changing gears just a little bit, uh, Josh, what has, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success in real estate? Oh boy, I don't know if there's any one thing. I mean, we're out there every day. I guess if you had to narrow it down, it's just like anything else in life that you never stop learning. Um, mm. I can tell you that, um, you know, I, I actually coach uh, multifamily investing now for Michael Blanc, like you mentioned. And um, some of the things that we come across or my students uh, will come across now are things that even a year or two ago, I would have made that same mistake after being in this. So I think never stop learning is, is probably the biggest thing. Um, what are some ways that you keep educating yourself? Um, so through podcasts, through books, through blogs, um, through industry conferences. Um, and, you know, a big part of what we do now is not necessarily real estate specifics. I'm a big fan of, of um, uh, business growth and, and business minded um, gatherings. Uh, for example, I've joined a, a group about a year ago called uh, EO, Entrepreneur Organization, which is just a group of uh, other business owners. Once once your business is at a certain level, you're, you're able to get into this, uh, this amazing group and, and they have conferences and speakers all over the, all over the world. Actually, I'm going to one in St. Louis next week, a three day event of just, uh, business minded speakers. Um, that type of stuff is where we really started to grow lately. And then we apply that to real estate. Nice. Nice. So in your, you know, coaching, you're, you're able to talk to many people who are new in the business or maybe have never, have never done a deal. What's the, the top reason most syndicators fail? You know, I think it's actually probably never getting started. I have uh, yet to see many people get in, do a deal and it not work. Um, it might not hit the exact numbers they wanted, but most um, people that I know of that actually get in and do a deal, it tends to be, uh, it, it tends to come together. If anything, people are too conservative and end up uh, and end up getting into a deal um, and and had, had overly uh, conservatively estimated that. But I see a lot of people, probably 60, 70% of people that I talk to or more that get excited and, and are ready to start um, and just never actually get into it at all. Uh, never write that first LOI or never go tour that first property. And it's pretty hard to, uh, to what do you, you miss 100% of percent of the shots you don't take, right? Mm, that's right. That's it. I like that quote a lot. Um, so can you give us just a couple tips on, you know, how to stay in the game when you're getting started and, and really persevere to that first deal? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing is uh, looking at one of uh, one of the other coaches in Michael's program here uses this. And I stole it from him, but it's a funnel. It's uh, if you look at a hundred deals uh, in the top of the funnel um, that come across your desk, let's say if you have a hundred deals there, you might only write LOIs on five of those and maybe only one of those deals is going to get accepted, right? Something like that. So if you think of it that way, that it's just a one foot in front of the other. And even though you look at a deal and you, it, it doesn't make sense, the numbers don't work, you don't write an LOI. Well, that's just one out of that, say hundred. You, you just got to keep pushing ahead and continuing to look at those, uh, look at deals, analyze deals, write offers on deals when, when they make sense. Um, and keep pushing forward because you can't buy every single deal you look at. Of course. Um, can you tell us about a setback or failure uh, at some point in the real estate business? Oh, sure. How much time we got? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. My most recent fresh one. This is uh, this is something that if I would have just uh, had some some coaching or some mentorship when I started, I could have saved myself a ton of trouble. But um, 
I mentioned we were doing all of these um, uh, refis to agency financing lately, and it stems from a mistake that I put in in uh, process three or four years ago when I was putting my initial financing on these deals. I didn't think um, and I didn't know that um, prepayment penalties at uh, small portfolio type lenders um, are very negotiable. Mm. Um, sometimes it can be negotiated out in the first year or two or certainly in the first three years, um, almost at across the board is what I've found. But I didn't know that. I didn't think to ask. So several of my deals that I was looking to refinance in the last uh, year, a few months even, um, were coming, were, were paying off these portfolio lenders. And in one case, I had a lender with a 3% across the board prepayment penalty. So you start paying off mortgages in the, you know, a couple million dollar range um, and paying a 3% prepayment penalty, you're writing checks that you could go buy new cars with. Yeah. Um, all because I didn't know or think um, to negotiate those out before I started three years ago. So it was a really, really big lesson. And unfortunately, really no way out of it besides biting the bullet and, and knowing for next time. Wow. Uh, Josh, unfortunately we're, we're out of time, but would you tell, tell the listener how they can get in touch with you and learn more about your business? Sure. Yeah. Our, uh, our main company here is Epic property management. That's what oversees our portfolio as well as some third party management for other investors. We're located in Southeast Michigan and Northern Ohio. Now, um, you can, uh, reach us on the website at epicpropertymanagement.com. That's E-P-I-C propertymanagement.com. Uh, or you can reach me via email, josh at epicpropertymanagement.com. Great. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I know our listeners gained a lot of value and I hope they'll reach out to you. Um, we will talk to you tomorrow. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.